But, you know, when you think about a teacher as a whole, in general, we understand how important they are for our society to raise up the next generation in many different subjects, trades, and skills. Teachers have a huge influence on our kids' lives, um, whether for good or bad. Teachers need to be versatile as they encounter many different challenges or barriers to learning. Now, of course, there's different ways to learn, um, just as there are different types of smarts. You know, think of tr street smarts and book smarts. Uh, you think of the different ways to learn. Um, some people learn in very specific ways. You know, you take a sermon, for instance. Primarily, a sermon is a lecture. It is something that requires you to be able to sit still for 45 minutes, half hour, and be able to be undistracted in order to retain information. Some people can do that very well. Depends on who's around you, perhaps. Others like to learn hands-on. They like to be involved. They like to be learning it as they're doing it. No right or wrong, just differences. So a teacher needs to be able to pick up on that in order to bring about different styles, which is important for the different learners so that they can retain as much information as they can. You know, teaching is such a natural part of life. It's hard to see how it's listed here as a spiritual gift. You know, in the Bible, a form of teach, teaches, or teaching occurs over 200 different times. A uh, variety of books is where it's used. As you kind of group those uses, you find three very popular uses for it. You have where God is teaching the people, the leaders within the different capacities, whether it's the kings, the prophets, the priests, the church leaders, they are teaching the people, and then parents teaching children. Many of the uses can fall into one of those three categories. Again, teaching is seen in many areas of life and also in some of the other gifts. Within the gifts of prophecy or exhortation, you can see some overlap of teaching happening. Now, when we look at the gift in Romans 12, it's just half of a verse, and it simply says, the one who teaches in his teaching. That's what Paul gives for us. Uh, that's how it's presented. You know, you look at the fact that Paul thinks teaching is a gift of the Spirit, this should indicate for us that Paul doesn't view this as simply relaying and passing on traditions and information. It's not like he's teaching them their times tables or a foreign language. He understands the impact with this spiritual gift that it's very important in terms of the interpretive role that a teacher has when it comes to using Scripture, when it comes to relaying the message of God for the significance of the body. For the, for the person that is the teacher then, they have to convey properly what the Spirit teaches them. They then go as a teacher, drawing from that teaching and taking that to their own context, their own congregation. You know, that looks different in different congregations and different settings. For instance, we would teach our littles differently than we teach our teens. We expect more, we expect a little bit different information style in how things are presented. Um, with a teacher, if you remember from 1 Corinthians 12, it's listed third, right behind apostle and prophet. 
And a lot of times, the line between prophet and teacher becomes very thin. A few different explanations uh, on the differences. Prophecy is characterized more as new insight into God's will and speaking something new to someone, whereas teaching would be more of a new insight into old revelation. The prophets would receive their message by direct revelation. A teacher gets their knowledge from the study of the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus in whatever form would have been available to them. Uh, Remember, the Old Testament was not on every ancient bookstore. It wasn't something that was just sitting on your mantle. It would have been, you would have had one copy in a synagogue that you would have to go and learn from. Teaching differs from prophecy in that it's not characterized by ecstatic utterances as the vehicle for the revelation that's given by the Spirit. And since those types of direct revelations were not always readily available, since you didn't always have prophecy coming at you, teachers held a very important role. You know, you think about how, since you don't always have that direct uh, revelation, what are you supposed to do? Well, you go back to the revelation that you do have. You have a huge treasury of revelation within the Old Testament. And contextually, we remember that. When Paul is talking about Scripture, he is speaking to the Old Testament. That's what they would have. The book of Romans is written in the late 50s, so there isn't even a lot of the New Testament books that are written at this time, uh, let alone different circulations where people would have that. So you would rely heavily on the teachers who would be learning the Old Testament and then making it clear for the people that they're teaching about how the Old Testament works within the life of Jesus, pointing to the Old Testament prophecies and seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So teachers in the early church were doing this um, all of the time. You know, teaching is paired with knowledge in 1 Corinthians 14.6, whereas prophecy is coupled with revelation. So when you think about the role that the teachers had, they were taking these doctrines, these traditions, these beliefs, and they were introducing how Christ fits perfectly within all of those teachings. They're very important to the communities. Now, I think we also see um, the need within a teacher to instruct in the traditions regarding Jesus and his teachings being very important. In the Old Testament... Maybe there. Um, You have different passages that speak about the importance of passing down what they have learned. So one of the earlier regular ministries that would emerge in the early churches was that of a teacher. These are just some of the passages kind of um, summarized for you. You can write the passages down. Um, All of the last four there, four or five, say something very similar to what was summarized. Um, and as, as a teacher gained in prominence and importance, they fulfilled these vital roles with how they preserved and passed down their traditions and teachings. And it gave the first Christian communities their distinct identity, rooted in Christ, not in Jewishness, not in being a Gentile, not in their cultures or societies that were around them, whether it would be Roman or Greek. So they, they instilled this identity rooted in Christ as they discipled up the young believers. And Paul is then saying here in Romans, if one is a teacher, then let him exercise that gift. Let them teach. It's important. Now, as I said, 
There are three, three main areas where we find teaching as it occurs in Scripture. The first area was in how God teaches the people. The first use of the word teach is found in Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, which says, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. If you know your Bible history well, you understand that this is God speaking to Moses. Moses is giving his excuse of why he doesn't want to go to rescue the people of Israel because he's afraid to speak. And God's saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the words to speak. I'm going to teach you what to say. And look, here comes your brother Aaron. Since you don't want to do it, I'll teach you what to say. You tell him and he'll speak. You know, in verse 15, it almost says verbatim uh, of what it says there in verse 12, showing the consistency of God in this pattern that God teaches the leaders what to speak and the leaders are to then teach what God teaches them. You simply need to read through the book of Psalms to see the desire uh, of David and the others to be taught by God. Psalm 119 has the whole chapter, the whole book deals with God's word, God's law, God's statutes, his decrees, his commands. And over a dozen times, it talks about how their desire is to be taught by God. Um, going through some of these passages in Psalms here this morning, just to give us a taste. 25, 4 through 5. Make, make me known to your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, for you, for you I wait all the day long. Psalm 27, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 51, 11, behold, you delight in the truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. 94, 10 through 12, he who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, they are but a breath. And then 143, 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. It was, so it was pretty clear, you know, the people wanted God to teach. He was the source of wisdom and knowledge that people needed to learn from him. And he has promised to teach the people. They were given his word. He speaks to the people through the word um, and tells them to obey what he has said. You know, even as God teaches the people, he also teaches the leaders to teach the people. You could turn over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. Um, as he is, you know, we got a glimpse of that with Aaron and Moses, how he was teaching them what to say in Exodus 4. But he carries on this same train of thought um, in Deuteronomy 4. And in, that, in this chapter, you actually see the entire progression of how God teaches the leaders, the leaders teach the people, and then the people teach their children. So God teaches Moses the leader of the people, what to say. And then Moses says this in verse 1. And now, O Israel, 
Listen to the statute and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, go in and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You skip down to verse 10. It says, On that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. So we see how the people needed to teach the words of God that they receive to their children. And we'll get to that area here in just a little bit, but let's continue to focus on the leaders for a moment. You know, the leaders are to teach the people what God teaches them. And in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And the Lord commanded me, the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you're going to possess. Moses continues um, in Deuteronomy 31. If you wanted to flip over there, you could. In 31.19, this is kind of near the end of Moses' reign here, and the Lord is speaking to Moses, and he says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. So then in chapter 32, you have the song that the Lord has taught to Moses, and he is giving that to the people. And in 32, verse 2, he says, May my teaching drop as rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. So we see how the leaders would treat the words of God. Okay, they were commanded to do so, and they did. And the connection here is to the word of God, you see in the song how it's being reflected as rain, as dew, as water. Remember, this is a people that are in the desert area, they're in the wilderness. So the connection is that the word of God is like a source of life to them that they needed to hang on to. Psalms is again filled with the same similar type of teachings of how leaders are teaching others. Psalms 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 34, verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 51, 12, and 13, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Psalm 105, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. In all of these places, David is the one speaking, and he is speaking to those who are underneath him, speaking um, some, somewhat to the Lord at one point in time about how if you teach me, I'm going, to teach your trans, I'm going to teach the transgressors your ways. So David is taking that role very carefully. You know, leaders teaching those underneath them is something that passes down to the church as well. Elders being able to teach is found in 1 Timothy 3. You know, and you think about the group of guys that we have here as elders and we're truly blessed in how they have stepped up into this role. Now, perhaps a point of confusion that I do want to address with the men. Um, you know, that verse says, B 
being able to teach. That's what it says. Doesn't mean that you have to fill the pulpit supply. Sometimes because you see how your elders take their role seriously in that way, you think, well, if that's what it means, then I don't want to ever be an elder. But it simply says to teach, and this could be in a variety of different ways, to where you could be teaching individually one-on-one, where you could be teaching a Sunday school format, a Bible study, and yes, maybe even the pulpit supply, depending on how the Lord calls you to do it. You know, you think about what we talked about last week in terms of serving God how He has called you. Can it be scary? Sure. Is it exciting? Absolutely. Because as you are in that role, you are serving the Lord in the way that He has called you. You are standing in the will of God for that moment in your life. You know, the goal that Paul has when it comes to teaching can be seen throughout Scripture. In Colossians 1, 28, he says, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And he tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. You know, teaching and being a teacher is an important role and we need to be filled with the Spirit as we approach it, especially from a leadership standpoint. Because even from the Old Testament, we know the obvious reflection. Not all leaders were good. Not all leaders obeyed the voice of God and taught people what they were supposed to teach. Paul warns all over the New Testament about false teachers. He tells Timothy about what accords with sound doctrine because there are teachers who are going to be twisting the gospel message. So we need to be careful at where we're getting our information. And I want to be clear about something at this point in this message in our series so that it doesn't get misconstrued so that there's no confusion or taken the wrong way. Oftentimes, I challenge our thinking about the Bible or traditions and presuppositions. But I don't want to come across like I am challenging the Bible. This series is a perfect example of that. As I'm going through this series, I see many ways and many types of divisions and differences in our thinkings concerning the spiritual gifts. Not just within this body, but within the church at large. And my goal is to go back to the Word because that is our source of truth. And I want you to hear that. The Word of God is true. If that is true, then it is us who are at fault in our understandings and our interpretations. That is what I would be challenging. So if for some reason I would say something that you disagree with, if it's in the Bible, it's not me that you're disagreeing with. Okay? So that is what I'm challenging, what we're bringing in terms of presuppositions. I want to make sure that we're on the same page with that as because of how things might come across at times. And I bring this up today because I wanted to talk about a new craze out there called deconstruction. Deconstruction is a term that came out in the 60s. It was a psychological term about dealing with past traumas. But today it's gaining popularity in the church because there are celebrities or authors who are going through this. Some of the most famous ones, 
Joshua Harris, who wrote, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Paul Maxwell, a writer for Desiring God, and Marty Sampson, a Hillsong worship leader. It's being billed as challenging what you believe about the Bible and asking questions, exploring your doubts, and things like that, which again, I have no problem with and do all the time. But even as it's being put forward like this, the deconstructionists, their motives behind it are more demonic than that because they're wanting people to go away from the Lord. One author uh, says this about our take on Scripture and how we should approach it. He says, Scripture commands each person to scrutinize his or her faith. This includes fact-checking, thoughtful preparation, reasonable skepticism, cooperation with others, multiple perspectives, and appreciation for all God has shown in His creation. Scripture often depicts people crying out with doubtful complaints and frustrations. Those who examine what they believe and why they believe it, assessing those views for truth, are following a biblical mandate. Yet this is not what the modern deconstructive or deconstruction movement does. So it has to be stressed that if what you're challenging or the doubts that you have need to be taken to the Word to dig deeper because that is where your source of truth is. It's my understanding that might need help. Doubts that I'm struggling with, fears that I might have, it's not the Word that is doubtful. You take those doubts, you take those struggles to the Word to find hope, to find truth. Today, deconstruction is being pushed by these influencers who have left the faith, telling others that it's the best thing that they can do. Challenge what you have been taught all of your life and ultimately leave God. It's another tool of the moral relativists to say that you are your own God and you do you. Truth becomes very subjective and it leads exactly to where our culture is. It's a very serious danger within the church. A lot of time, especially currently, it is revolving around sexual identity and how we use those terms, how the church treats those issues. It's exploring how the church has failed people in the past, perhaps having a sense of self-righteousness, how they need to rescue the church from itself. Or maybe the church did not address their doubts and questions that they had growing up. And in fairness... You know, when a church is not wrestling with the serious questions that people are struggling with, if we just dismiss their questions, if we just dismiss doubts, it is just like pushing people away. They're going to find somewhere else to find their answers. And the culture is all too ready to accept them. The church cannot just dismiss doubts and questions because they're there. Instead, we need to give correct biblical teaching on those matters. And this puts a heavy strain on your pastors because I can't teach about every question that you might have in one sermon. I probably don't have all the answers either. So, you know, we need more leaders to step up to help teach so that we can cover a wide variety of issues. Again, this is the hard part. You know, are we teaching to our traditions? Are we teaching to our own understandings? or the popular social craze and what might be the buzzwords of the day, are we teaching to the Word of God? 
as I try, I try to be as upfront as I can when I'm saying, hey, this is a curtism, take it with a grain of salt, or something like that. Because I'm still on the path, just like all of you, as we try to gain in our understanding of truth. But many times, our traditions can just be assumed and taken as truth. Ultimately, we want to present the Word of God in a way that helps people wrestle with what, where they currently are in their walk, to go back to that source of truth. Okay, end of mini-sermon. Getting back to leaders helping to teach what God says in the Bible. You know, as leaders do that, we then understand those teachings, those, you know, when we think about how leaders pass that on to people, those people then are to take that into their own families. You know, those who are parents have the responsibility to be teaching the Word of God to their kids. You know, I've been in youth ministry and Awana programs for all of the time that I've been in full-time ministry. And I can tell you, it's easy to tell the difference of the kids who have parents that are teaching them the Word of God at home versus not. It's just night and day difference. You can tell what's being taught or what's being presented at home. Parents need to take up that responsibility to teach their kids in the home. They shouldn't treat youth programs as church, in churches, as just a place to dump off your kids. Sunday schools, camps, things like that. The church is only to be backing up and supporting the roles that are taking place in the home. The primary role is in the parents' hands to teach. I've had numerous conversations with parents as different questions or topics come up. How are you handling this in your home? How do you want me to address this with your child? As they have different questions that are a little bit shakier or that I think they might need to ask their parents about so that they can have that opportunity to speak into their kids' lives. You know, and I think over the years, you realize how thirsty teenagers are. They want to know different things. They have a lot of questions. And they might be afraid to ask their parents. They might be afraid of what their parents might say or what they might do. So honestly, it, it's good for teenagers to have some, another trusted adult that they can come to to ask those kinds of questions to because maybe they're just trying to bounce different ideas or thoughts as they're processing and learning their worldviews without fears of being grounded or being in trouble. You know, it's an important role to be in a teen's life as they're trying to figure these types of things out. You know, if they don't have an adult that they can go to, if they don't have a ministry that's pouring into them, at best, they're going to go to their friends who are just as mature as they are. I think we can assume what that result's going to look like. Or they're going to their culture and what the culture is telling them to believe. You know, it's a weighty task to teach the next generation. In many ways, we have turned that responsibility to others. We have given up that role as parents. You know, in similar ways, we think about how a school should be working for the parents, instructing our kids in the simple things that they need to be learning, not indoctrinating them. In the same way, a church should be coming alongside of the parents 
to help them fulfill their command, their godly command, to raise godly children. Offering resources where we can, but affirming that it is their responsibility. You know, and it, and it, didn't, it hasn't happened here because we don't have Awana, but when I was in Awana, you knew there was some parents that just wanted to come for free babysitting while they went to the local establishments for two hours. We knew we were the only source of input for those kids of Christ in their life. So we took that role as best we could. We were glad that they were there. But as Christians, we should all understand this responsibility that we have as parents to raise up our children in the way that they should go. Some of the examples. Psalm 78, verses 1 and verse 5. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So the parent listening to God established, he established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And of course, Proverbs 22, 6, train up the child in the way that he should go even when he was old, he, he will not depart from it. Now, that Hebrew word of train is the same as the word to teach, translated that way in other versions. But we see the important command and the call for parents to teach their children. Through the scriptures, we have seen how this gift and the act of teaching is very important to the church. Understanding the law, the statutes, the decrees, and the commands of God. The differences of teaching can then be seen from a natural perspective to a spiritual gift when it's understood properly, showing us how the Holy Spirit must be a part of that teaching to communicate biblical truths in a way that edifies and builds up the church, that encourages the church in their relationship with God. You know, as we have seen within our culture, very easily teaching can stray from the truth into what we want it to be when we're controlling it within our own power, with our own motivations. You know, when we are teaching the things of God, we want the Spirit to be a part of that. We see the progression, how God teaches the people. Those people then teach others, and then those others teach their children. We see the progression of how God wants us to go to Him for the source of all teaching how an important role it is for the teacher to relay those commands of God accurately. So that we can pass it down for the next generations. So today my charge is actually for the teens. So teenagers, wake up a little bit. I want you to pay attention because before you know it, it will be your responsibility to teach others what has been taught to you. Whether or not that's a scary thing is up to you. Thank you, Tyler. Appreciate that. And remember, the source of your teaching is always to be based on the Word of God because his, the Word of God is the source of truth. That's what we want to bring things back to. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to dive into this series... We think about, and we often talk about, how important the role of teaching is to have correct teaching. 
to always be preaching the gospel. Lord, you know our hearts and minds. You know our areas of weaknesses. You know our areas of traditions and assumptions. Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your grace. That you would forgive us of the times where it was our own selfish motivations. When we're teaching things that we want to be true, rather than what your word says is true. Father, to know what your word says, we have to spend time in it. And I pray that you would give us the time and energy and the desire to study your word. Lord, you call all of us at times to pass down what we have learned from you. I pray for those opportunities. I pray that we're aware of those and that we can take advantage of them. That we can use those times that you have placed before us to impart your wisdom and knowledge into the lives of others. Lord, that through your spirit, more and more people will be drawn to you. Lord, help us to be open vessels, as broken as we may be, but being healed by the presence of your spirit, being made new. Lord, help us to be willing to answer that call. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.